Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with the permission of the Worcester News, and recorded on Thursday, the 28th of November 2019, here at Colin Chance House in Worcester. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor for this edition, and with me to read the articles are Moira Lowe and Jules Watkins. Our sound engineer is Duncan Wynne, and the admin team is Carol Hartle, Joe Gwynne and Jean Burbeck. A warm welcome to all listeners, especially new ones. I hope everyone enjoys our offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers readers' letters, birthdays, on this day, and thought for the week. Obituaries are still included, but following listeners' requests, these have moved to a new spot, following the closing music. So, if you wish to hear them, please stay tuned then. I've also been asked to tell you that at present talking books are not available on memory sticks, only on CDs and tape. Don't forget that recordings are also available on podcast. Also, do let me know your birthdays so that we can greet you specially when the time comes. This service is free to users, but if you would like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5, 1DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone. Worcester, that's 01905 767 766 or add a note to your wallet. And we do ask our listeners that if there's any problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please use the answer phone on the number I've just given and leave a message to that effect. One more pleasant piece of news. I've been asked to point out to you that there are to be two performances of Snow White at the Swan Theatre with audio description. They are on at 7 o'clock on Saturday the 7th of December and a matinee at 2pm on the 28th of December. That sounds fun and I hope everyone who goes enjoys themselves. Now our birthdays. On the 8th of December... It's Sandra Wood's birthday, and on the 28th of November, David Hunter. So, happy birthday to both those people. Now, I'll ask Moira to read the thought for the week. Okay, so it's Exodus 33, verse 19. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. 
And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Thank you, Moira. And now some useful telephone numbers. Out of hours medical help, 6 to 8 p.m., 0300 NHS non-emergency, 111. Worcester Live, that's for the Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall and the Henry Sandon Hall, 01905 Malvern Theatre, 01684 Worcester Hub for Council Matters, Worcester 765765 or 7223233. Crime Stoppers, 0800 and lastly, Samaritans, 116123, and that's a free phone number. Now I'll ask the team to introduce themselves as we begin to read the, wim- the week's headline articles. Hi, this is Jules, and this is a headline from Friday, November the 22nd, and it is Burglar Hit City Traders for 5K. A career burglar who stole more than £5,200 during three raids on Worcester businesses stormed off when he received his longest ever jail term. James Marson, pictured, was so angry about his four-and-a-half-year jail sentence he rushed out of the booth at H&P Hewell, making off before the judge had finished speaking to him over the video link. Already there. The recorder of Worcester, Judge Robert Jukes QC, also banned the 41-year-old from the city centre overnight for eight years as part of an extended criminal behaviour order imposed at Worcester Crown Court on Wednesday. Marson, a former drug addict, admitted all three burglaries, stealing a total of £5,213 from city centre businesses. He raided VIP Beauty in Shaw Street and Be the Change Foods in the Corn Market on March the 1st this year, and the burger shop in Cherry Tree Walk on July the 21st. Marson, who has 45 previous convictions for 96 offences, also admitted being in possession of two Class C drugs, Subutex and Tramadol. Marson, who has spent time homeless, has 17 sets of convictions for commercial burglary alone and 16 theft of kindred offences on his record. The longest sentence he has served up until this one was just 16 months in prison for six burglaries and possession of Class A drugs, imposed on March the 9th, 2016. By his actions, he also admitted being in flagrant breach of an existing criminal behaviour order designed to protect the businesses of Worcester City Centre. Under the terms of this order, imposed on September the 9th, 2017, he was banned from the city centre between 9pm and 7am and prohibited from entering any business outside opening hours. Abby Grimshaw, owner of VIP Beauty, arrived to find blood and plasterboard all over the floor after Marson broke in through the skylight causing £3,000 worth of damage. When the 22-year-old returned, she feared the burglar was still inside, calling her mum from her car, who in turn called the police. 
I had to throw everything away that this had been in contact with. I don't think I ever bleached the floor quite so many times. I threw out all of my towels, she said. However, all Marston stole was the tip jar containing £1.85, as Miss Grimshaw never keeps her takings on the premises overnight. She said of his prison term, It's a longer sentence than I thought he was going to get. Miss Grimshaw has yet to get the defendant's letter of apology, but would love to receive one and is willing to meet Marston face-to-face as part of restorative justice. After the burglary, she did not like being at work on her own and had to shut uh, for three or four days to rebuild her customer base. Financially, that was a big hit for me, said Miss Grimshaw, who opened the business in August last year. Blood at the scene was a DNA match for Marson. On the same evening, he raided Be The Change Foods, stealing £2,500 and a £12 T-shirt. They lost trade for four hours, costing £100, and Marson caused £165 worth of damage. Amanda O'Mara, prosecuting, said, They're small, independent businesses in Worcester City, so there's a greater loss to them than a national chain. Marson was arrested on March the 2nd, found with £1,099.38p, which he claimed was cash from his late mother's estate, and recalled to prison. Released on July 5th, Marson burgled the burger shop on July 21st, stealing £2,700 from the safe. Officers received information Marson was near Asda in Worcester on August the 3rd, but he ran from police and was found hiding in undergrowth. Marson was also charged to pay a criminal charge of £170 and compensation to the burger shop and be the change foods of £548.76 each and £1.85 to the owner of VIP Beauty. And now Saturday, November the 23rd. Parking fees won't rise despite big income drop. More than £2 million was raised by car parking charges for Worcester City Council last year. But there are no plans to increase prices, despite income dropping by £300,000. Worcester City Council raised £2.1 million in profit for parking in 2018-19, according to government figures but saw numbers for one of its biggest sources of income fall by £300,000. Councillor Jabarias, chairman of the Income Generation Committee, said car parking charges were always about finding a delicate balance between creating income for the council and supporting existing and future businesses in the city. He said... Council budgets are very stretched, and with car parking, it is always about finding a delicate balance between raising the money needed to provide services and supporting businesses and the high street. From my point of view, we as a council are trying to find other ways of generating income. But car parking charges are always going to be an integral part of it. The charges for parking are one of the fairest in the county and I am determined to keep the prices fair value. We want to bring people into the city and I think increasing charges would prevent that. Councillor Mark Bayliss, leader of the City Council, said he was not concerned the amount of profit had dropped last year and had no interest in putting up charges. He said, it is an important source of revenue for the council, but I am very proud to have campaigned to not increase charges and will long continue to do so. 
Councillor Baylis said charging for parking was not about making profits for the council, but about making money to support services around the city. All the profit made by the council last year came from off-street parking, such as local authority-run car parks like St Martin's Gate and the cattle market. But on-street parking cost the council £72,000, according to figures published by the Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government. The leader of the council laughed off claims earlier this year that more expensive parking charges would cut congestion and said an increase would be the completely wrong solution. He said the notion that cheaper parking fees were putting people off using the bus was total nonsense. Worcester City Council said it does not make a profit from car parking charges and instead pumps the money back into services. A spokesman said, All income from car parking goes into supporting traffic and parking management and the maintenance of infrastructure. For example, this year alone, we invested £200,000 in 42 new payment machines, enabling customers to pay by card as well as cash. We aren't concerned that income from car parking is falling. Monthly income from off-street car parking for the first six months of 2019-20 is above average compared to monthly income for the past four years. However, recent flooding and the need to close car parks for maintenance has had an impact. The council holds reserves for this purpose which will be replenished when income returns to expected levels. Hello, it's Moira. Um, I've got the headline from Monday, November 25th. Thug bit X's face in savage attack. A mum fears she will one day be killed by her violent ex after the thug beat her up and bit her face on the day he got out of jail. Joseph Smith was drunk when he barged his way into his ex-partner's Worcester home and attacked her in a flagrant breach of a restraining order, which he has already ignored multiple times. The 32-year-old was jailed for the attack at Worcester Crown Court on Friday, storming out of the prison video link room when he learned his fate. Well, it seems to be a, a common thing, doesn't it? The dad had already been served with a community order for breaching the same order in May and jailed for doing so for 16 weeks in June and for 12 weeks in September. In the latest attack, Smith, described as dead behind the eyes, beat his ex so savagely inside her home in Canterbury Road, Ronxwood, he broke the banisters with her head, forcing her to flee and leave her children behind in the house. She only left because she believed he would never hurt them, running outside and saying, he's bitten me. Smith of Shap Drive, Warnden, Worcester, was only arrested when an officer pointed a taser at him, but he continued to hurl abuse at them, later spitting blood all over the back of the police van. Smith appeared over prison video link after previously admitting assault occasioning actual bodily harm, breach of a restraining order, criminal damage and using threatening, abusive, insulting words or behaviour during the incident at 7pm on October the 18th this year. 
The mother said in her victim personal statement, I'm sure this will happen again unless I move. He's not bothered about this restraining order or getting arrested. I'm worried this is going to end up causing me serious harm or he will end up killing me. Photographs of the injuries to the woman were shown to the judge who described her as a slight female, much younger and less strong than Smith. Michael Connery, prosecuting, said the woman had ended the relationship three years ago, but Smith had persistently breached the restraining order. Mr Connery said, On the day he was released from prison, he came down to the house. She was surprised to see him there. The prosecutor described how Smith had been violent towards her in the past, but she thought he would not be stupid enough to come to her house on the day of his release. She did not know whether he had taken drugs or drink. He looked dead behind the eyes, said Mr Connery. As she went to close the door, he pushed past her and punched the television, smashing it. Smith then punched her. She felt as if she was underwater. It was all blurry, said Mr Connery. Smith hit her on the living room floor and bit her cheek, her ear and her stomach, dragging her across the carpet, the court heard. She remembers hitting her head against the banister. The spindles broke snapping in two said Mr Connery. The victim believed at one stage she lost consciousness. When she managed to get out of the house Smith followed her as she went to a neighbour's house for help. Mr Connery told the court the defendant shouted to him shut the door or I will burn the house down. Police were called. An officer was concerned enough to draw his taser and red dotted the defendant who allowed himself to be arrested but was then aggressive. When he was in the police van, he spat blood all over the inside of the van. The van had to be taken out of service while it was specially cleaned. This was the subject of the criminal damage charge rather than the damage to the banister, which should not appear among the list of charges. Smith answered no comment to all questions. The defendant has a string of previous convictions, including 14 offences against the person, 8 against property, 26 thefts and a history of disobedience towards court orders, including non-molestation orders. His previous convictions include ABH, burglary, battery, affray, assaulting a police officer. This last offence leading to an eight-week prison sentence. Mark Sheward, defending, said his client had pleaded guilty to all matters at his first appearance before magistrates and recognised he would receive an immediate custodial sentence. The city solicitor added, he accepts he has a problem with alcohol. He doesn't drink every day, but when he does, he binge drinks. He then acts in a way that is clearly wrong. He didn't have the best start in life. He was raised together with his two younger siblings by his mother after his father left. His mother had a revolving door of stepfathers who would come into their life. He witnessed violence towards her and himself from those men she formed relationships with. Because of the violence he suffered, he was taken into care and thereafter spent most of his formative years in foster care. Mr Sheward said Smith was medicated for mental health problems and was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia some years ago. Recorded John Steele QC sentenced Smith to three years in prison and imposed a restraining order without end date to protect the victim. He told Smith, it seems short sentences of imprisonment had no effect upon you. However, he did not find Smith dangerous, which would allow the court to impose an extended sentence. There's a clear pattern of offending here, which is a serious matter, he said.
Before the judge had finished speaking, Smith got up to walk out of the prison video link room. I'm not finished. Sit down, said Recorder Steele. I'm finished, said Smith as he left the room. The prison officers made no effort to stop him. The judge pronounced the rest of the sentence in Smith's absence. No comment. Okay, I've got Tuesday's headline as well. Um, Man 22 in hospital after night attack. A young man attacked in the early hours was still in hospital yesterday evening, but his condition remains unclear. The 22-year-old suffered serious injuries as a result of an attack in Wiles Lane, Worcester, between 11pm on Saturday and 1am on Sunday. It has not been confirmed whether exa- where exactly in the road the incident took place. Speaking yesterday, a witness said there was no police presence or any indication anything had happened at all on the road. It runs from off the A44 Sidbury up to Batten Hall near the Worcester Arms, containing the Plumbers Arms, as well as a couple of takeaways, a taxi firm and a driving school. Detective Chief Inspector Andy (coughs) Bailey described it as a very serious incident, but did not confirm whether police are looking for a group of culprits or a single person. Police are still appealing for witnesses and the DCI did move to reassure residents that the constabulary is working around the clock on the case. He said, Whilst we acknowledge that this is a very serious incident, I would like to reassure the local community that we are working hard to apprehend the offender offenders responsible for this assault. We have increased our patrols within the Wilds Lane area, he added. Yesterday, a police spokesman could not confirm the condition of the victim or whether the incident was linked to an apparent window smashing, supposedly on the same night in nearby Roxwood. That area of Worcester was initially included in a release, but put out by West Mercy on Sunday afternoon as the location of the attack. Though this is understood to have been an error by the communications team and not necessarily an indication that anything related took place in Roxwood. Wiles Lane runs alongside Fort Royal Park from one side. The scene of a serious sexual assault in the early hours of Sunday, September 22nd, in which a man in his 20s was attacked by up to five men. A police spokesman confirmed at the time that the attack was not being linked to the Worcestershire Pride event which took place earlier that day. The victim received several injuries, including to his head. We understand no arrests have been made in relation to that incident. In relation to the latest attack, the spokesman said without again speaking directly to officers involved, they could not confirm whether both incidents are linked, but said they believed it was unlikely. Anyone who may have witnessed this incident to call West Mercia Police on 101 and quote incident number 54S of November the 24th. Well, this headline is Fair Warning Over Aggressive Begging Fairs, F-A-Y-R-E, clearly a reference to the Victorian Fair. That's from Wednesday, November 27th. People have been warned to look out for aggressive begging by drug users at this year's Victorian Christmas Fair. Worcester Cares, which brings together groups such as Mag's Day Centre, St Paul's Hostel, Worcester Bid and West Mercia Police, is advising business owners and the public to be smarter when approached by beggars in the hope that they can give the help to the people who really need it. They stress most people begging are not homeless but drug users, some of whom came to the city by train for the fair which starts tomorrow. 
Homeless charities in the city says the overwhelming majority of people who beg on the streets do so in order to buy hard drugs, particularly crack cocaine and heroin and super-strength alcoholic beers and ciders. They are calling on business owners and the police to coordinate to identify people who really need help, alert the relevant groups who can help, deter those who enter the city to beg and provide opportunity for the public to respond in other ways. Jonathan Sutton, CEO of St Paul's Hostel, said, Put simply, we are asking the public to give wisely. The link is between begging and drug and alcohol misuse, not homelessness and begging, nor even homelessness and drugs. We must not demonise people who are addicted, yet we must strengthen the message that these highly addictive drugs cause an extremely deterioration of people's health and even death. Worcester Cares says most people begging are not individuals in temporary difficulties, but people who are dependent on a begging income. This is almost certain to fund a serious drug habit. A report from the group which brings together St Paul's Hostel and Mag's Day Centre, police, businesses, churches, Worcester Bid and Worcester City Council said, There is no need to beg on the streets of Worcester in 2019. It's an urban myth that if you have no address you can't claim benefits. This simply isn't true. Meanwhile, there are services where homeless people can get food, clothing and support such as St Paul's Hostel, Mag's Day Centre and a soup kitchen nearly every night. Many people asking for your money are caught up in a desperate cycle of begging from the public, scoring drugs from a dealer and then taking these drugs. There are many services seeking to help people sleeping rough. Please work with them, not against them. Inspector Dave Troth from West Mercia Police said, We want Worcester to be a safe place for everybody and will work with our partners to identify those in genuine need. Offer them help to get off the street, but will not be tolerating aggressive begging. Last year we saw an increase in people begging and they came from far afield outside the county, often by train. Worcester Care's research comes from national police data, including Thames Reach Outreach Teams, which estimates that 80% of people begging do so to support a drug habit. Right, the headline article from Thursday, that's today, November the 28th, and again it follows on from the article read by Moira a few moments ago. Mask Thugs Savage Attack A vicious machete attack by masked mass thugs may have left the victim with life-changing injuries, the Worcester News has been told. Police yesterday said they have arrested a 30-year-old man following the attack in Wilds Lane, Worcester, near two primary schools at the weekend. Members of the Asian community told the Worcester News that balaclava-clad men got out of two cars armed with knives and machetes to carry out the attack. One source said the victim may have lost fingers in the attack, but another source described the wound as a deep gash to the back of the hand. Police have declined to provide details of the 22-year-old's injuries other than to say they are substantial and include defensive wounds to the hands. A 30-year-old from Spark Hill, Birmingham has been arrested following the attack and remains in police custody. West Miss Mercia Police has yet to confirm what the man was arrested for, despite requests from the Worcester News. Police confirmed the attack happened near St John's Ambulance in Wilds Lane, just yards away from two schools, 
Fort Royal Community Primary and Newbridge Short Stay School. Detective Chief Inspector Ian Wall said, I would like to thank the Worcester community for helping us with our investigation into an incident that took place in Wiles Lane in Worcester over the weekend. A 22-year-old man sustained potentially life-changing injuries and he is currently in a stable condition in hospital. I would like to reassure the community that we have made an arrest of a 30-year-old man who remains in custody at this time. We continue to actively seek individuals to help us with our inquiries related to this incident. Meanwhile, the Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Aladitta, has appealed for calm and has urged those who have information to tell police. A source from within the Wilds Lane community said, The lad who was severely hurt lived in St Peter's and used to live in Victoria Avenue near Wilds Lane five or six years ago. The source reported that several weapons were used in the attack, that the victim had slipped and fallen before the assault took place, describing it as the result of a family dispute between two or three families. He understands that the victim lost four fingers in the attack, but this has not been confirmed by police. Another source, who also declined to be named, said they had machetes and knives. On Friday night, different lads were attacked and a car was smashed up. He said the man who was attacked was an innocent law student and had no part in the dispute. They wanted to put their mark down to say, we're gangsters, we can beat everyone up. Both sources said the attack was linked to drug dealing. It is understood the victim was taken to A&E in Worcester by friends and then transferred to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham. He is currently a stay in a stable condition. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time, said one source. The assault happened between 11pm on Saturday, November the 23rd and 1am on Sunday, November the 24th. Worcestershire Local Police Commander Superintendent Damien Pettit said the investigation is still ongoing and we currently have a man in custody who is helping us with our inquiries. I understand this has had a large impact on people in the area and would like to extend our thanks to the community for assisting with our inquiries. We continue to have an increased presence within the area. Councillor Ditter said, Don't be disheartened if you think the information may not be useful. Let the police be the judge of that. In the bigger picture, the information may be quite useful. The police need evidence. Those with information can call West Mercia Police on 101 and quote incident number 54S of the 24th of November or alternatively Crime Stoppers 
anonymously on 0800 treble 5 treble 1. Well, that's the end of the headline articles. And now I'll ask Jules to read the first of a couple of sports articles. Okay, well, this is about uh, basketball, and this is uh, involving Worcester Wolves versus Newcastle Eagles. Headline is Joseph's Confident for Cup Showdown. Yes. Worcester Wolves guard Kofi Josephs believes the hosts can finish on the right end of a pretty even matchup in their BBL Cup quarterfinal tomorrow night at 7.30pm. Wolves tackle old rivals Newcastle Eagles at the University of Worcester Arena after securing a home tie by finishing second in the South Group. Birmingham-born Great Britain and England international Joseph, 28, has enjoyed welcoming 6-foot-11-inch American centre Amir Williams into the mix this week ahead of the Cup showdown. Last time the sides met, back in March, only three points separated them as Newcastle won 96-93 in Worcester. Shooting guard Joseph said... Eagles have just signed C.J. Gettys, who is seven feet. I think we will match up better now than if we didn't have Amir. They are a big team, but fairly guard-dominated, just like we are, so it's going to be a pretty even match-up. We had Amir come in, and this week he's going to be great. He is a key factor to what we need in terms of size, which will really help us. He's coming at a perfect time. We are ticking over nicely, practising well, and learning more about each other day in, day out. We played Newcastle in pre-season and have improved and made changes, but so have we. I'm confident in the guys, myself and the coach. Joseph, again, hopes uh, a vociferous Worcester backing in the arena will help lead side into the last four. Wolves finished second in the group behind London City Royals with six wins and four defeats from ten games. Eagles claim third spot in the north section with the same record as Worcester also securing 12 points. Joseph continued... The Wolfpack, Wolves fans, are the sixth man every single game, even the games we have lost. Without them, we could have lost by more. The games we have won have definitely been because of them. We need everyone to be out there shouting and letting the other team have it. We need to perform and we need them, the fans, to perform so we can win together. We don't play to lose. We are going to prepare the right way and give our best. New signing Williams said after arriving at the club on Monday, I'm still adjusting. It's always difficult travelling from America out of the country, but I'll be okay. It's going to be a great opportunity. The coach has explained to me the season they had so far. There's been a lot of cup games. I'm just excited to get going and get my first chance to play against the guys in the BBL. This is my first game in England. Offensively, I am back to the basket type player. I try to offensive rebound and stay in the near post area. Defensively, I try to control the paint and be aggressive. Wolves have been drawn to visit Cheshire Phoenix at the Cheshire Oaks Arena in the BBL Trophy first round on Sunday, January the 5th, 5.30pm. Worcester start the long-awaited BBL Championship campaign on Friday next week at home to Surrey Scorchers at 7.30pm. Do you think he had to have extra leg room on the plane? I should think so, or at least two seats if he wanted to sleep. Wouldn't be wearing shoes, would he? Wouldn't fit in. Right, a second sports article, this time Worcester Warriors Rugby Union. Tough decisions on selection. Boss. Director of Rugby Alan Solomons has been spending a lot of time thinking about team selection on the back of Warriors standing up to an early season flurry of injuries. 
The Six Ways Treatment Room has finally stopped resembling a city centre railway station at peak hours, with the likes of Chris Pennell, Ryan Mills, Duncan Weir and Matt Moulds fit to face a European Challenge Cup trip to to Castres tomorrow, 2pm. Hopes are also high over François Hougard and Nick Schonert following suit, but after Worcester coped well during a testing time with casualties, Solomon's admitted alternatives had stated a strong case to stay in the mix. It is absolutely positive to have everyone available, but I think the result at Harlequins, followed by the win in Russia, also lifted the spirits, he said. Everyone wants everyone to be playing. We have a good group of guys and there's a massive amount of competition. When you consider there were seven players unavailable through injury at Quinns, the team acquitted itself fantastically. The level of competition is really great. And going back to Enisei, what really pleased me was the progression of the academy lads because they are central to the vision of the club. I think the competition has been there from the beginning of the season, and when people get given opportunities, they take them. It does provide food for thought, and ups that level of competition even further. And I think that's good. Competition drives performance, and the fact we have such good strength in depth is positive. It does give you headaches, and does not make selection easy, that's for sure. You certainly spend a lot of time thinking about it. There are tough decisions to be made, and that's really good. It is definitely by far the most selection headaches I have had in the time I've been here. The news that so many big names have closed in on or returned to full training is a relief after the sheer number of concerns during the open weeks of the campaign. But Solomon's conceded no side could feel confident of avoiding more. People are slowly coming back, he said. We still have Will Butler and Alex Hurl out, but we know they involve operations and that it will take time for them to be right. It's really positive for us at the moment, and you always hope to get good luck on these things. But you never know. The game is massively physical and you cannot escape the vagaries of injuries. Well, those are our sports articles. And next, on this day. So on this day, the 28th of November, in 1660, the Royal Society was founded in London. On this day, in 1757, William Blake mystic and visionary English poet and painter, and also, of course, writer of the words for Jerusalem, was born in London. In 1905, on the 28th of November, the Irish political party Sinn Féin was founded in Dublin by Arthur Griffith. 28th of November, 1919, Viscountess Nancy Astor became Britain's first woman MP, holding a safe Plymouth seat for the Tories in a by-election caused by her husband's elevation to the peerage. On the 28th of November 1934, 
Winston Churchill warned that weak defences could mean that Britain could be tortured into absolute subjection in any war with Germany. 1943, the Big Three, Churchill, Roosevelt and Stalin, met in Tehran to plan strategy and discuss post-war policy, including treatment of a defeated Germany. 28th of November 1967, horse racing was suspended in Britain after an outbreak of foot and mouth disease. 1968, Enid Blyton, creator of Noddy and Big Ears, among many other children's favourites, died. 28th of November 1983, the government announced an end to the monopoly by opticians on the sale of glasses. And 28th of November 2010, Britain shivered in record low temperatures, including a ridiculously low minus 17 degrees centigrade in Wales. And on this day last year, a search for the winner of a £76 million lottery prize was intensifying on, as the deadline for claiming on a missing ticket approached. Actually, I believe the latest win is £105 million, so it makes 76 look pretty poor. I'd still put up with it, though. <laughs> Right, now some readers' letters from the last week. And I'm going to ask Moira to start off with her selection. OK, my letter's from Gareth Jones, former councillor for St Stephen's Ward. Space must be protected. Sir, having read many recent interesting letters in respect to the proposed 4,400 capacity football stadium, there is a clear distinction regarding the status of Purdiswell and the land off Droitwich Road. The land use for a proposed hockey facility is agricultural slash horticultural and the adjoining land, leisure, current use for football, both private land, whereas Purdiswell is protect green public open space. My long-standing objection since 2013 as a St Stephen Ward councillor and even now as a local resident, I strongly believe that the land at Purdiswell must remain POS for all to enjoy now and in the future, especially considering all the recent built residential and proposed residential development in the surrounding areas of Worcester and within the bordering district of Witchhaven. Quite agree with them. And this letter is from Ralph Buxton from Worcester. Sir, I don't know who the bright spark is who scheduled the erection of the heavy metal crash barrier in Friar Street, but whoever doesn't live anywhere near the area as work commenced at 3am and continued intermittently for some hours. The thrill we residents enjoy is that the barrier clanks every time a vehicle or pedestrian crosses it. And we have the joy of the stall erection to come, metal struts chucked around, usually very very early a.m., let alone a weekend of chaos, noise, cooking smells, etc. I hope the fair is a success and brings lots of visitors to the city, but I'll be glad when it's done and dusted. Right, my first choice is the Fair Point letter stroke article on Monday. 
and it's by Ryan Merrifield. Many people still have it wrong about the homelessness issue. A recent article by a colleague about a rough sleeper who stole balaclavas and gloves to keep warm, as well as the reaction the story got from readers, raises plenty of interesting questions. Michael Smith, 30, admitted stealing the items in court and said they were to help keep the cold at bay while he slept in the doorway of Debenhams. Writing on Facebook, Sally Jarvis compared the idea of stealing to keep warm to a scene from a Charles Dickens novel, while Helen Elizabeth described how every doorway was taken by homeless street sleepers when she went to the Christmas light switch on. The idea of so many rough sleepers out on the streets in this weather, while many others happily celebrate across the street, is a saddening reflection of society today, and in Dickens' day, showing in some ways just how little we've progressed. Some commenters also suggested the council shouldn't be giving the go-ahead to the likes of a new Lidl, but instead should be building another shelter. While Andy Summers asked would anyone who's upset by Smith's story put him up for the night, these two points are where the homelessness issue becomes complicated. Often the solution is not just as simple as giving someone on the streets a place to stay and it is something that our major political parties seem to forget often. In the case of Smith, he was a heroin addict and had spiralled out of control before he was hospitalised, got a methadone prescription and began engaging with support from Mag's Taste Centre and St Paul's Hostel, where he was rehomed. Smith was not necessarily in a place where he could cope with being housed when he was at his worst, while completely gripped by the drug. And he may relapse again in future, and the cycle will start again. While more shelters would be ideal, more funding actually needs to be made available to hit the root causes of being on the street. To many, it may appear to be a choice. Smith chose to go on the streets and to take heroin. But that kind of mindset is never helpful, and many people need to take a step back and think. St Paul's Jonathan Sutton said, The solution isn't straightforward or quick, but we must resolve the underlying emotional needs through connection. OK, my next letter is from Jane Ashcroft's Chief Executive of Anchor Hanover, London. Sir, for too long our country's older people have been let down by successive government's failures to prioritise social care. Anka Hanover's research shows that while 89% of people think social care reform should be a priority for politicians, only 45% believe politicians recognise it as a priority. With 87% of people fed up with important domestic issues such as social care being neglected as a result of ongoing discussion about Brexit, urgent action is needed to restore public trust. Manifestos must meaningfully address the profound funding and workforce pressures facing social care, including a cap on social care costs. 
This is a chance to turn the social care crisis around and provide clarity and peace of mind for today's and tomorrow's older people. The next government must deliver sustainable reform as an immediate priority once appointed. Our programme for change, shaped by older people's experiences, sets out a tangible plan of action for politicians to draw on. We must act now to secure a positive future for our ageing population. And a quick letter from Mr Darren Sorrell from Worcester. And he says, Sir, John and Will have worked tirelessly to make the Alma Tavern what it is today. From a complete renovation and creating a family-friendly venue, this is now a really exciting pub to visit. Can't wait to see things in the summer when the beer garden is completed. And the last letter. This is from Paul Morton of Worcester, and it's about the fact that nowadays uh, the central post office in Worcester is housed on the first floor of WH Smith, and presumably very timely, uh, because at this time of year, everybody else is posting parcels and letters at a rate of knots. Sir, long queues on the first floor of a privately owned shop is no way to run the city's postal service that should be available to benefit the whole public, including those for whom access must be difficult or impossible in the current arrangement. I agree with Councillor Alan Amos's recent assertions that Worcester's main post office needs improvement. If the service was brought back into public ownership, its main function could be to run as an accessible service rather than to make a profit, and many people would favour that solution. What a shame, then, that the councillor has chosen to withdraw his motion Post office call pulled after Councillor Rao, November the 22nd, Worcester News. I wonder what others think about this issue. Right, now we go on to the articles from this week. So I'll ask Moira to start our articles. Okay, railway strikes still at an impasse. Striking rail workers say they are standing firm as disruption to weekend train services continues. The National Union of Rail, Maritime and Transport Workers, the RMT, is refusing to crew services on West Midlands Railway on Saturdays leading up to the end of this year. In protest at what they say are proposals to introduce driver-only operation, which would mean there would be no guards or conductors on services. I'm sorry, that was just one sentence, that was. However, West Midlands Railway denied this is the case and Jan Trowdry van der Velde, Managing Director of West Midlands Trains, said, This industrial action is entirely unnecessary. We have never proposed driver-only operation. We are committed to keeping a safety-critical conductor on every passenger train. The action is benefiting nobody and has caused major inconvenience to passengers and businesses. More industrial action is scheduled, but we remain determined to find a way of resolving this dispute without further disruption and inconvenience for the passengers. An update from RMT General Secretary Mick Cash said, 
RMT members are once again standing solid, determined and united across the West Midlands Trains franchise as we fight to put the safety-critical role of the Guard at the platform-train interface top of the agenda. The safety and accessibility of the travelling public is this trade union's priority and should take priority over the profits of the train operator and we believe that this is an important election issue for the people of the West Midlands. We will not allow the drive for profit to override the core issue of safe and accessible services for all on West Midlands trains and we stand firm on that very basic principle. We will never compromise on the issues of passenger safety and accessibility. The union remains available for talks. Well, here we have a letter entitled, uh, or asked, uh, Residents' Woes at Village Plans. Residents have gathered at a village hall to discuss their concerns over proposed changes to their area. Plans have been put forward for a park and ride to be built with a car parking accommodating up to 500 commuter vehicles, 1,000 new homes and a new school in Rushwick. The proposals have been put forward because the village near Worcester is designated as a strategic growth area under the current South Worcestershire Development Plan. The format was informal, with small groups sitting around tables discussing their views, and this was fed back to Rushwick Parish Chair Andrew Deakin at the end of the session. Councillor Deakin said it was important for residents' views to be sent to planners as he did not want the plan to get overwhelmed by Malvern Hills District Council. Philip Adfield, 71, a resident of Rushwick for 11 years, said, I'm concerned Rushwick will lose its identity in the same way St John's has done. Jeremy William Turf, 63, from Rushwick, said, I'm concerned this could turn into a vanity project. Planners don't seem to have a backup plan, and what they'll do if the plan gets rejected, they'll put all their eggs in one basket. Malvern Hills Independent Councillor Daniel Walton, whose ward includes Rushwick, said, Looking at the plan, I can't see huge faults with it. There won't be a huge number of rail passengers using the station who live in Rushwick. It'll be people from outside the village. The rail-based strategy causes more issues as rows in the village could be filled with commuter cars who don't want to buy a parking permit at the station. One unnamed resident said, This proposal is disruptive to the existing village, with potential avoidance parking on Bransford Road. I'm worried about the danger to school children with increased vehicle traffic. Other points raised concerns the pressure of increased population on primary and secondary health care services. Councillor Walton added, everybody in this room is used to filling in the objection forms. Concerns were also raised because no cycle paths were shown on the plans, even though there is a cycle catchment area added. Points raised will not be, points raised will not be forwarded to Marwood Hill District Council before the deadline of 5pm on December the 16th. The meeting lasted between 7pm and 8.30pm and took place in the main room at Rushwick, uh, Rushwick Village Hall. My article, I think, is of particular interest to many of our listeners. Cabby said no to my guide dog. A severely sight-impaired woman has spoken out after a taxi driver refused to take her because of her guide dog. Rosie Chandler, 68, attempted to board a minivan at a pickup point near Cathedral Square, Worcester, with her guide dog Sally and son Daniel Thompson. When I go out, said Rosie of Great Whitley, I don't anticipate getting refused travel. Having a sight issue is difficult enough without this added stress. Rosie was with her son in Worcester, 
when the incident happened last Thursday, November the 21st. Daniel pointed out Rosie's disability and the taxi driver told him he would not take the dog as he did not think it was an assistance dog. Sally was wearing her full harness and Guide Dog UK branded vest at the time. And with the article, there is a full picture of her so dressed. Mrs Chandler said, Are taxi drivers being trained correctly? And are checks being carried out? I'm lucky Daniel was with me. If I was on my own, I would have been more worried. However, the trio managed to get service with another taxi nearby travelling to Daniel's house in St Peter's without any further issues. Daniel Thompson, 45, said, When I questioned him again, he responded by asking why we didn't take the saloon in front of him, to which I told him his style of vehicle is easier for mum and the dog. He said again he would not take the dog. A spokesman for Worcester Taxi Drivers Association said, Drivers who do this need to have their licences looked at. A spokesperson for Worcestershire Regulatory Services said, I can confirm that a formal complaint has now been lodged. Officers will be investigating the allegations which have been made with a view to taking formal action. Taxi drivers have a legal responsibility to carry any passengers accompanied by assistance dogs unless the driver is exempt from doing so on certain medical grounds. It's not the first time this has happened, has no, it? No, it isn't. OK, my headline then is Praise for our NHS from Oscar's mum. The mum of a seriously ill schoolboy has praised the health services and called on the public to stand up for our NHS. Oscar Saxelby Lee's mother, Olivia Saxelby, was speaking as the five-year-old's treatment in Singapore for acute lymphoblastic leukaemia gets underway. In a Facebook post, she said, £12,000 down for a two-night stay here in the hospital and the process of payment is rather tricky and time-consuming. This whole journey so far has been so tough, but also eye-opening as to just how fortunate we are to have our NHS. Oscar may not be undergoing treatment in the UK right now, but if it wasn't for them, he wouldn't have got to where he is now either. On that note, they will not stop caring for him on our return. We need to fight for our NHS, we truly do. To stand up to cancer, we must stand up for our NHS. Oscar and his family travelled to Singapore last week after raising £500,000 to fund his CAR-T cell therapy treatment which was not available to them on the NHS. Since then, Oscar's cells have been sent to the laboratory and he is now in intensive care. Miss Saxby said he was the most horrific procedure yet. She added 24 hours in paediatric intensive care unit, lots of sedation, uh, one tube into the vein, one cell harvest, one lime blockage, many tears and a Burger King. We'll slowly adapt into the Singaporean way, but as you can imagine, it's oh so different to the UK. We visually saw what we wouldn't have done back home during the line removal, which shook us quite a lot. But in some ways, it opened our eyes up to just how easily one small procedure can go wrong. 
It also highlighted how well our health professionals do in taking care of our children and being so thorough in what they do. We have free healthcare here, you don't. Yes, they have an ability to expand research and compassionately treat patients, but the NHS is without a doubt one superb addition to our country. Well, here we have a news article entitled New Way to Record Medical Wishes. One of Worcestershire's health bosses has welcomed a new way to record people's medical wishes. Elaine Corrillan, Worcestershire County Council's Interim Director of Adult Services, has said the respect process will make a real difference to people and their families. Respect refers to the recommended summary plan for emergency care and treatment and is the new process of recording medical care wishes if or when a person is unable to make or express those choices themselves. People are encouraged to have conversations about their future with those important to them and make these difficult care decisions. The healthcare professional looking after them and conducting the respect process then creates an individualised plan, a respect form, to make sure that they get the right care and treatment in a future emergency. Elaine Corolan, who attended the recent official launch of Respect, said, The process is a very positive step and will give people and their families confidence that they will get the right emergency treatment if they are unable to express that themselves. These are not easy conversations to have, but they will have a positive impact at a time of need. It has been extremely important that everybody working in health and care settings across the county understands the process and how they can play their part. It's incredibly important to ensure that those caring for you know what you would ha- what happened to you when needed. Worcestershire Health and Care NHS Trust has led the rollout of respect across Worcestershire in collaboration with Macmillan, Worcestershire Acute Hospitals, West West Midlands Ambulance Service, CCGs and Primary Care, Care UK, Worcestershire County Council and the three uh, hospices, Worcestershire Association of Carers and Age UK. Now a story that actually made the national dailies. Men kept three million pound hoard. Two metal detectorists who failed to declare a three million pound Viking hoard they found have been given lengthy jail sentences at Worcester Crown Court. George Powell, 38, and Leighton Davis, 51, failed to report the invaluable collection of buried treasure of coins and priceless jewellery worth up to £12 million, with most of it still missing. The items, many of which were Anglo-Saxon but are typical of a Viking burial hoard, were dug up on Herefordshire farmland on June 2, 2015. It is thought the trove was buried by someone within the Great Viking Army in either 878 or 879, which by then was being forced back east by an alliance of Saxon forces. Among the priceless hoard was a 19th century gold ring, a dragon's head, I think they mean 9th century, but there you go, a dragon's head bracelet, a silver ingot, a crystal rock pendant dating to the 5th century, and up to 300 coins, some dating to the reign of King Alfred. Powell of Kirby Lane, Newport, 
who was described as having the leading role, was jailed for 10 years, while Davis of Cardiff Road, Pontypridd, received eight and a half years. Both were also convicted alongside two other men, 60-year-old Paul Wells of Newport Road, Cardiff, and Simon Wicks, 57, of Hawkes Road, Hailsham, East Sussex, with conspiring to conceal the find. Sentencing at the court on Friday, Judge Nicholas Cartwright said they had cheated not only the landowner, but the public of exceptionally rare and significant coins. He said, 90% of the coins or thereabouts remain hidden to this day. All four defendants played their respective parts. You, Simon Wicks, were part of a conspiracy to conceal the stolen treasure and to sell it. Paul Wells, who will be sentenced on a future occasion, was part of a conspiracy to conceal part of the stolen treasure. The irony in this case is, if you, George Powell, and you, Leighton Davis, had obtained the permissions and agreements which responsible metal detectorists are advised to obtain, if you had gone on to act within the law after you found this treasure, you could have expected to have either a half share or, at very worst, a third share. You could not have done worse than £500,000 each, but you wanted more. Only 31 of the coins have been recovered, although photos on Davis' phone, later deleted but recovered by police, showed the larger hoard still intact in a freshly dug hole. When soprano Sarah Kings performed in a city concert on Saturday, she was singing to her brother's tune. The Worcester soprano joined her fellow Cathedral Chamber choir singers to perform music for St Cecilia's Day, that was on the 23rd of November, by composers from across the centuries, including her own brother Stephen. She took the solo role for Meditations by Stephen, as well as some other pieces on the programme. It's not the first time Sarah from Lower Wick has performed her brother's music, but she always finds every opportunity a proud moment, even if it does bring an additional pressure to those that come with being one of the choir's regular soloists. I want to give my best, she says, but I'm also aware the audience won't necessarily know the piece, which can take the pressure off a bit. It's obviously a help having your composure on hand for any performance tips. And, says Sarah, a choir member for 18 years, Stephen is always happy to help. Although it tends to be more about what he means and is trying to achieve than the mechanics of singing, which he leaves, in this case, to our conductor Stephen Shellard, she adds. Stephen and Sarah are Worcester born and bred. He attended King's School and, now living in Bristol, his roles include accompanist and assistant chorus master to the Bristol Choral Society and the BBC National Chorus of Wales. He also conducts several choirs and is a seasoned pianist, soloist and chamber musician. Sarah went to the girls' grammar school before gaining a music degree and pursuing careers in stockbroking and IT. She is currently a carer for her father. A conducting engagement meant Stephen couldn't attend Worcester Cathedral Chamber Choir's O Single Out concert in St Martin's Church on Saturday, but Sarah said he was there in spirit.
It included works by fellow Worcester composer Ian Venables and an arrangement by former Worcester Cathedral Director of Music, Dr Donald Hunt. Well, here we have a story from Wednesday, November 27th, entitled We Are Enjoying Our Playground. Work on the major refurbishment of a play area in Ombersley has now finished and the community has been enjoying the area. The Worcester News reported last year on the completion of the first phase of the project to benefit Ombersley residents by revamping the play equipment located on the village's recreational field. The Ombersley Play Area Action Group, or OPAG, raised more than £30,000 in 18 months to fund the project, including £5,000 donated by Fortis Living, a further donation from Ombersley Conservation Trust, and the group holding various fundraising initiatives and having its own crowdfunding website. Now work has ended and the new look playground is being enjoyed by village youngsters. The new playground includes a new climbing frame structure, wheelchair accessible roundabout, basket swings and timber trails. The playground also includes a plaque highlighting the group's efforts. Those behind the scheme said it was desperately needed as the area was last upgraded more than 20 years ago and was in need of regeneration, highlighting in particular that the old climbing frame had rotted and some of the playground's items had been moved for safety reasons. An OPAG spokesman said, It has been wonderful to see the children enjoying the new equipment and seeing families coming together for quality time in the heart of the village. We're so grateful to the charities, organisations and have donated, not to mention our fantastic local community, who have provided amazing support. Right, from today, beggar targeted elderly at ATMs. An aggressive Worcester beggar who targeted elderly people could be slapped with a criminal behaviour order, CBO, to protect the people of the city. However, the begging ban was delayed because Marjorie, Mar, Marie Baker, the subject of the application, did not attend a hearing to discuss it at Worcester Magistrates Court on Tuesday. The 40-year-old of no fixed abode, but with links to both Worcester and Malvern, had been informed of the hearing date well in advance. Baker, who has previously served a jail sentence, was convicted of begging in a public place and causing racially or religiously aggravated harassment, alarm or distress on September the 26th this year. Sean Williams, prosecuting, told magistrates Baker had pleaded guilty at a hearing the same day and was fined £100 for the racially aggravated public order offence. No separate penalty was imposed for the begging offence. Mr Williams said, Her conduct involves her locating herself by cash machines in particular areas and public places, seeking, and often aggressively seeking, money from individuals, causing harassment, causing alarm and distress frequently to elderly individuals. The CBO application was also served upon Baker on September the 26th. The CBO, if granted, would prohibit Baker from soliciting or begging from any person, including on behalf of a charity, in any public place and being verbally abusive to anyone or from behaving in a manner that causes or is likely to cause harassment, alarm or distress. Baker would also be required to continue to accept assistance from Mag's, Mag's Day Centre, MOATS team. 
Mr Williams told the court its purpose was to provide an active deterrent in respect of the antisocial behaviour, but a positive requirement was also needed. The purpose of the criminal behaviour order is both carrot and stick, said Mr Williams. He added, the root cause of this behaviour is in relation to seeking to get money for drugs. Baker had indicated on October the 3rd she wished to contest the CBO application on the grounds it would not prevent her engaging in such behaviour. But when she didn't appear on Tuesday, magistrates adjourned the case, appearing to do so under the false impression Baker had never served a jail sentence. The chairman of the bench said, Amongst people being put up for such orders, she hasn't got the longest criminal record we've ever seen. We're also concerned that Miss Baker has had no experience of custody. However, in 2017, we reported how Baker was jailed for six months after begging for 50 pence on the streets of Worcester, sentenced without legal representation because she was unable to get a solicitor or legal aid. We also reported in 2015 how Baker preyed on vulnerable elderly people in Malvern, stealing money from them. In one incident, she promised to go shopping for a 57-year-old disabled man, but instead stole his £10. In another, West Mercia police said she had stolen £600 from a housebound 86-year-old with, with cerebral palsy. As a result, Baker was served with an injunction prohibiting her from visiting the Pickersley Ward in Malvern. This came days after Fortis Living evicted her from a flat in Marsh Close on Wednesday, December the 9th, 2015, after complaints of antisocial behaviour. Susie Duncan, for Baker, said, I'm surprised she isn't here. She's homeless. I have no means of contacting her. I don't have a telephone to call her. Magistrates agreed to, to adjourn consideration of the CBO to Kidderminster Magistrates Court on December the 17th. OK, this is the story that <clears throat> we've heard about already tonight. Um, the headline is Stole to be Warm. A homeless shoplifter stole balaclavas and gloves to wear to keep warm, assaulting a shop manager in the process. Michael Smith, 30, admitted stealing two balaclavas, which the court was told he intended to wear while sleeping in the doorway of the Debenhams in the High Street. He also stole a boxed scarf, which he believed was a pair of gloves, and admitted assault by beating of the store manager. Prosecutor Shavkat Riaz told the court, at 2.30 in the afternoon, the defendant entered the Mountain Warehouse store in Worcester. There he was seen by the assistant manager, Matthew G, who asked to look in his bag, having noticed that items were missing. The court heard how Smith became aggressive, swearing at Mr G and pushing him in the chest, getting him out of the way so he could leave the store. Representing Smith, Blinda Aris said, it is fair to say he has an unenviable record. If you look at his record, you will see that he was a very regular offender, but to his credit, he has not been here in court for 12 months. He has previously had a heroin addiction and he is in receipt of a methadone prescription. 
He was previously homeless and living on the street for many months and was hospitalised, then rehomed at St Paul's Hostel. This has made a huge difference to his outlook on life and he is now engaging with everyone and is now signed down at Mag's Day Centre for courses in creative writing, gardening and cooking. He appeared before magistrates in Worcester on November the 21st. Magistrates handed him a 12-month conditional discharge, meaning if he commits another offence in the next year, he will be sentenced for this and the new offence. He was also ordered to pay a total of £276 in costs, compensation and a victim surcharge. As he left the dock, Smith said, God bless you all. I hope you have a great day. This is from Friday, November 22nd, and is entitled More Worries on Hospital Parking. Readers have raised concerns after a woman spoke out after being trapped on Worcester Wittishay Royal Hospital's car park for 90 minutes. Marianne Salmon says the key problems at the hospital's car park lead to a long wait on Tuesday night with people waiting with expired tickets and heavy congestion on the hospital's ring road as cars leaving do not have the right of way on the first roundabout. Sue Taylor said, It's just not right my newborn grandson was stuck in the car for an hour and a half just trying to get out of the car park on his first trip home. Hannah Taylor said, The exact same happened to us when we were taking our newborn home in October. One hour and 30 minutes standstill. Gary Matthews says, I was there Monday, one hour to get out. Ambulances, I saw three of them turn on blues and twos. They had to give up, couldn't move out. Disgusting. Charlie Barrett said, I was leaving for the first time with a newborn baby and had to wait in the hospital until traffic moved. It's just awful. Action needs to be taken urgently. Paula Arrow said, I was stuck in a queue Tuesday at 4.40pm and never moved for over an hour. They need to have a better system. Get rid of the barriers that will help cars exiting to merge quicker. The trust needs to address this parking fiasco as it's also costing NHS thousands through missed appointments. And now a very sad story. Oscar Thief Stole Again A thief who stole £300 from a charity box intended for ill schoolboy Oscar Saxelby Lee has admitted more thefts just weeks after he was jailed. Lewis Ilsley, 41, of HMP Hewell, appeared before magistrates in Worcester, charged with stealing Lancôme perfume worth £60 from Debenhams in the city on July the 24th. He was also charged with stealing clothes from Marks & Spencer worth £371.60 on August the 31st. Ilsley pleaded guilty to both charges, having originally denied them. He was sent to prison for seven days, ordered to pay £182, and when he appeared in court on November the 19th, he was ordered to pay £60 in compensation for the perfume theft, along with a victim surcharge of £122. Ilsley had previously been convicted of theft, having admitted to stealing a collection tin containing £300 for Oscar Saxelby Lee. He admitted stealing the donations tin from Sophie's Grill in Lowesmore, Worcester, on September the 22nd, while staff were away from the till. 
He was jailed for 18 weeks for the theft on September the 25th after appearing at Kidderminster Magistrates Court and ordered to pay back £300 in compensation. The charity box was in the grill to raise money for a mum's dying wishes, but she had asked that it went towards an appeal to fund further treatment for Oscar of Pitmaston Primary School. His parents, Olivia Saxelby and Jamie Lee, were able to raise £500,000 to cover the costs of travelling to Singapore for expensive CART cell therapy, which is not available on the NHS and which, about which you have heard earlier in this reading. I'm afraid this isn't a, a very nice story. Um, suicidal teen had images of children. A suicidal teenager looked at indecent images of children out of sick curiosity, but was disgusted with what he saw, a court heard. Harry Brotherton admitted making indecent images of children when he appeared at Worcester Crown Court on Friday. The 19-year-old had 66 images at Category A. I won't tell you what those are. He also had 71 images at Category B and 211 at Category C. No descriptions of the images were available. Michael Connery, prosecuting, said the offences took place over a relatively short period of time between July the 8th and July the 31st last year when Brotherton accessed the dark web. He said this came to light as a result of the defendant being referred to the crisis team by his GP as a result of suicidal thoughts. The court heard how Brotherton made the disclosure about the images to a Worcester-based occupational therapist. He did disclose that he had been downloading photographs of children on the dark web, said Mr Connery. His computer was seized and he was arrested. The prosecutor said it's right to say he was candid in interview. Brotherton told police he was unaware there had been quite so many images, thinking there were between eight and ten. He said at the time his mental health was not good at all. He wanted to kill himself. He was in a bad place, said Mr Connery. Brotherton also said the images disgusted him and he didn't want to think about them. He said he was very ill and using alcohol and drugs at the time. He wasn't taking his medication. He felt low and suicidal, said Mr Connery. Michael Aspinall, defending, said what he saw made him quite ill. Going onto the site was just sick curiosity. He's over that. He has a job at the moment. He will lose that job because of that conviction. Brotherton was a previous good character. The judge ordered the forfeiture and destruction of the devices on which the images were found, including a computer and a mobile phone. Recorder John Steele QC also made a sexual harm prevention order. Brotherton must sign the sex offenders register for seven years. He was also made subject to a two-year community order. The defendant must complete an accredited sex offenders behaviour programme, 30 rehabilitation activity requirement days and 150 hours of unpaid work. Brotherton was ordered to pay a £100 contribution towards the £340 requested by the prosecution. Well, this is a story from Friday, November 22nd, and it's Kids' Recipe for Success. Talented pupils at a Worcester primary school have created their own cookbook to help raise funds for the school. 
Children at St George's RC Primary School in Thornilow Walk, Barbourne, have collected 70 recipes from school families, their head teacher, school get-ins, other staff and governors and friends. The book is something of a global culinary celebration as there are recipes from over 17 countries to feature all the different nationalities and cultures that make up the school community. The children are excited to have their recipes included and there is a wide range to choose from, from favourite breakfast to energising snacks, refreshing salads to comforting soups, budget meals to special occasions, simple to spectacular desserts. Matt Dadge, chair of the school's Friends Committee, said... Thank you so much to everyone who has contributed by sharing their recipes, ideas, time and funds. We are especially grateful to our sponsors Nicole & Co, Aspen's Catering, Ula La Beauty and Wishing Well Nurseries for helping towards their production costs. Nicole & Co even ran a bake-off style competition to win a place to feature in the book. Sales manager Scott Hyde won and we are proud to include one of his regular favourites, his chicken, mango and avocado salad. Head teacher Mrs Gittin said one of the aims was to provide the pupils with a memento of their time at the school. We hope this book will be a treasured gift and a special keepsake of the children's primary school memories, shared friendships and community spirit, she said. We have received fantastic support from local businesses, many of whom have included recipes in the book, from Benedicto's, Williams Farm Shop, Richard Sandy Accountants, Jade Temple Photography and one of our parents and designer of the book, Mr Ben Barnes. If you would like to buy a copy of the book, it costs £8.75p. Please contact Mrs Phillips at the school reception on 01905 25841 or email book at gmail.com. And our final article, I think. Fans anger over cashless stadium. Fans have criticised the decision from Worcester Warriors to make Six Ways a cashless stadium from next month. The club announced last week that the ground would become card only to improve the match day experience for supporters and visitors. From the European Challenge Cup match against Dragons on Saturday, December the 7th, All bars, food and drink outlets, programme sellers and hospitality areas will only accept credit or debit cards or payments by mobile phone. Since then, fans have reacted angrily to the news, with some saying it makes the stadium less family-friendly. On the Warriors' Facebook page, John Guest said... Well, there goes our family-friendly stadium then. Jill Collins said, Considering Worcester Warriors are classed as a dementia-friendly club and won awards for the work they have done in this area, how is this dementia-friendly or, for that matter, encourage the older fans who still prefer to use cash? Worcester City Councillor Richard Udall said the move was a serious mistake, saying not everyone, especially children, have access to payment cards. No longer family-friendly and now increasingly elitist at Warriors. Joe Lewis said, superb, make the Luddites catch up with modern times, reduce waiting times at tills and save money for the club as well as in in transacting cash. Warriors have since said that the move will still go ahead as planned on December the 7th and under the new system, 
Cash payments will still be taken by the Candy Shack in the new EBC fan zone. When the plan was announced, Managing Director Peter Kelly said, We live in a society that is becoming increasingly cashless, in which customers are used to purchasing goods using a card or their mobile phone. We hope that there will be significant benefits for supporters and visitors to Six Ways when the stadium becomes cashless. It will reduce queuing at bars and food outlets so supporters do not miss any of the action on the pitch or entertainment in the new EBC fan zone. Well now, we've reached the end of this recorded edition. Thank you to Moira, to Jules and to Duncan for reading and recording. We hope you've enjoyed listening and that you'll come back for more next week. So we'll say our goodbyes, and then, of course, the obituaries will follow. Best wishes from me, Evelyn, and from all the team. Goodbye. And now the obituaries. Arthur James Bishop. Jim passed away peacefully at home on November the 21st, 2019, aged 85 years. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, December the 12th at 1pm. Family flowers only, please. John Handley of Ambleside Drive, Worcester, passed away peacefully on November the 14th, 2019, aged 82 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, December the 5th at 12.15pm. Family flowers only, please. Robert Ian Sykes, Robin, aged 75 years, died at home with his family on November the 15th, 2019, following a short illness. A service of thanksgiving for his life will take place at St Barnabas Church, Church Road, Worcester, on Thursday, December the 5th at 2.30pm. Family flowers only, please. Dennis James Watkins passed away peacefully at Courthouse Care Home, Malvern, on Sunday, November the 17th, 2019, aged 90 years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, December the 5th at 11.30am, followed by light refreshments at the Blackpool in Worcester. All welcome. Family flowers only, please. Beryl Forsyth passed away peacefully on November the 5th, 2019, aged 85 years. Funeral service has taken place. Linda Jean Hughes passed away peacefully on November the 10th, 2019, aged 68 years. The funeral service has taken place. Henry Vincent Robert Parrish, or Harry, sadly passed away on November the 2nd, aged 87 years. Funeral service on Thursday, December the 5th, at Worcester Crematorium at 10.45. Family flowers only, please. Brian Richard Lewis, passed away at home on November the 16th, aged 68 years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, December the 3rd at 9.15am. Family flowers only, please. Kate McConkie, 
formerly of Coventry, passed away peacefully in hospital on November the 15th, 2019, aged 97 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, December the 3rd at 12.15pm. Family flowers only, please. James Edward Blandford, or Jim, sadly passed away on November the 19th, aged 87 years. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, December the 4th at 12.15. Family flowers only, please. Jean Hazel Williams, Hazel, sadly passed away peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on November the 16th, aged 88. A funeral service will be held on December the 5th at 1pm at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, please. Ivor Tennyson-Jones from Sevenstoke passed away peacefully on Saturday, November the 9th, aged 92. Funeral will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, December the 2nd at 12.15. Donations to St Richard's Hospice and Cancer Research. Evelyn Payne, or Eve, knee steel, sadly passed away on November the 15th, aged 90. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, December the 3rd at 1pm. Family flowers only, please. Barry Reynolds, or Baz, passed away suddenly with his family by his side on November the 10th, aged 74 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, December the 2nd at 1pm. Family flowers only, please. <laughs> 